Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus. We're going to get into the message today. This is our third week now on uh, our series called In Not Of. Uh, in the book of 1 Corinthians, we're doing a series uh, and uh, we're just going to continue to walk through verse by verse. We've talked about truth and what is truth. And if you're here today and you say, man, I'm, 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 I'm living in this culture we're living in today. There's a lot of stuff happening in our day today. And I would like to kind of understand what's truth. What is the truth and all that's going on? What is truth? Go online and listen to that message. Uh, that would help you very much. Last Two weeks ago, we talked about the idea of truth as well, but we took it a little bit further and talked about uh, how, what that looks like for you as a follower of Jesus and how you're called to be the church, you're called to be sanctified, and you're called to, uh, to, to be somebody who in, in the church is living a life for Christ. What does that mean and what does that look like to live like that? And so go on and listen to that. And then last week, we talked about our family day. If you weren't here, I encourage you to go online. We talked about four things that will make a great family. And I encourage you to listen to that. But today, we're going to get into 1 Corinthians and actually just look at the first verse. Very encouraging message for you today, I hope. Uh, we're just going to read 1 Corinthians 1, uh, verses 1 and 2. And we're going to talk a little bit about a couple of words in this verse. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 1, 1 and 2, fantastic, says this, Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God that is in Corinth to those sanctified in Christ Jesus called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Today we're going to talk about that first verse there that says, Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. When it comes to the idea of calling or the will of God, it's very hard to understand what that means. And I grew up in the church. I grew up going to church. And so I had all sorts of different ideas and perspectives on what that actually meant for my life. And so I was, it was interesting that I would, grew up believing that there was kind of this plan for my life. And it was plan A. And if I made a mistake or I screwed up, uh, that plan A meant my perfect life, my perfect spouse, my perfect marriage, my perfect everything. That was what I was shooting for. But darn it, when I was about 18, I made a mistake. I, I, I made a bad choice. I didn't mean, so that's plan B. And now plan B, it's pretty good life. Not perfect. My wife will never be the perfect, perfect one. And um, I mean, I will, but not her, of course. And um, plan B means it's a great life. You know, it's good, but it's not quite what I was hoping for. Man, I made a mistake when I was 23. Plan C, it's a good life. But, and then plan D, uh, I got some problems. Plan E, oh my gosh, I got lots of problems. And plan F, my life sucks. I used to think that this was how the will of God worked. That when I made a mistake, it bumped me down the tier of my life, and now it's not going to turn out like I hoped. The second thought I had that I began to believe is that my life was kind of like this, and that, oh my gosh, I better find the right road. I better take the right, the right this decision really will make a huge impact. If I take this off-ramp, I'm going to get super lost. If I take this job, what if I make a mistake and take this job and then I never get to where I'm supposed to go? What if I take an off-ramp in my life and I take that off-ramp and then now my thought was is I was never going to quite get to the destination God had for me in his time. It would, I would always be a little behind, a little late, a little short, a little, oh, I didn't quite get there. I had this idea about uh, the will of God and what that meant. 
I'm going to give you seven myths about the will of God. The first myth is the missionary myth. That God's will is only for preachers and missionaries and not for ordinary folks like us who work jobs and are moms and do our thing. That, that's, the will of God is for those called people who go and work for the church, but it's not really for me. The second myth is the, the misery myth, that God's a killjoy. He just wants me to suffer. He just wants me to, he's going to send me to Papua New Guinea with no clothes. That's his plan. And it's just like, if I serve God, man, I'm going to have to get rid of my girlfriend and get rid of my car and get rid of my clothes and just, just go for it. Like, like, there's this idea that if I serve God, that I'm going to have to give everything up. I talked to my daughter this morning a little bit about tithing because she was asking me, she says, Dad, I have $8. I said, well, are you going to give some of that to the Lord? And she said, well, how much is that, Dad? And I said, well, well we generally 10% is kind of what we talk about. And I said, it's 80 cents. She goes, 80 cents, Dad? That's a lot of money. And I said, I know. I said, but... Um, but that's how we worship the Lord. And she goes, well, hopefully the Lord doesn't ask me to give up my LOL dolls. And I said, uh, I don't think he will, but if he did, what would you do? She goes, well, I wouldn't give it to him. No way. Is that what she goes? Is that what it means to serve God? And that's kind of what we think sometimes. Like, oh my gosh, like God's going to ask me to give up all my LOL dolls. And he might, maybe if you're too attached to him. But the reality is, is that is that we have this idea that, that God's going to ask us to do all this crazy stuff. How about this one, the miracle myth? The miracle myth is that the only way for me to really be called by God is if I see a sign, if I have a miracle, if God comes down from heaven in angelic form and meets with me and says, uh, fear not, my child, thou shalt go and uh, serve God. Like we have this idea that it has to be this angelic encounter. Or how about the missed it myth, as I just shared, that God had a plan for me, but gosh, I'm a screw up, so therefore I'm not going to make it happen. How about the, the mystery myth? Finding God's will is like an Easter egg hunt. I search and search and search, and hopefully I find that golden egg. How about the idea of the moneyless myth? If I serve God, I'm going to live in poverty. Some of you might serve God and be called to live in poverty, but that's not God's call for us to live in poverty. God wants to bless our lives. God wants our children to eat <laughs> and drink. He doesn't want us to live in poverty. Now, he might call some of you to have a heart for people who live in poverty, and you might feel called to do that, but that's not for everybody. The last myth here is the map myth, that God's going to give me a roadmap, which means that he's going to give me every single step I should take. And so most of us believe this because, man, I want to move forward in God's will, but I, I'm just so afraid that if I take this step that I'm going to screw everything up. So there's all these different ideas. I don't know if you, I'm a big Office fan. I love The Office, the American version of The Office. And there's one episode in The Office where uh, Michael went to a christening of uh, Pam and, uh, Pam and um, Jim's daughter. And uh, they were so excited because they were going on a Mexico missions trip. And Michael was just like so impacted by this moment with God that he's like, I'm going. And he took his coat off and he wrapped it around his head. And him and Andy got on the bus and they're sitting there and they're rah rah everybody. And then it hit them like, oh my gosh, what are we doing? <laughs> are we really going to go to Mexico? And then they freaked out and they got off the bus. And sometimes we feel like, oh my gosh, like, am I going to take a step and they're going to miss it? The will of God is an interesting, an interesting reality. And what today I want to talk about is this, this statement that Paul makes. He's called by the will of God. That's a pretty bold statement for someone to say, I'm called by the will of God to be an apostle. That's a pretty bold statement to say, that's what I'm called to do. There's no question in his verbiage. There's no room for him to say, well, I think or I might. He's saying, no, you need to know something, Corinthians. I am called to do this. 
You think, how can he say that? How can he make that declaration? How can he articulate that thought? How can he say that with such confidence to these people? You have to understand that when Paul wrote this verse, he was 55 years old. He became a Christian when he was 29. And we'll talk a little bit about more his journey today. But when he was 29, he became a Christian. So Paul is actually, imagine for a moment, him sitting in a rocking chair, drinking his morning coffee, writing a letter to Corinth, thinking, okay, how do I want to start this letter? How do I want to talk to these people who were allowing culture to permeate the church? There was sexual morality. There was incest. There was uh, all sorts of wrong usages of money. And people were getting drunk at communion. They were having communion. All these people were getting drunk. And they they said, if you're going to drink, do it at home. And they, they said, like, like all these people were just eating tons of food, and the, the, they would actually have communion, and they would start eating the feast before people even came to church. It'd be like, you guys coming over to our food there, and the church hasn't started, and you're just going to town on the food. It's like, wait for other people, man. Like, they were just having so many problems. And Paul was thinking, how do I address these people? And he thought for a moment. He looked back on his life. Paul wasn't saying, I'm going to be uh, an apostle. I am going to be called by God or a will of God. Paul was reflecting on what he already was. He was communicating what he is, if I can say that. He was saying, listen, I've looked back on my life. I've been able to map my life and say, based upon the last 20 years of serving the Lord, I can say with confidence that I am called by God, that I am called by the will of God. And in fact, not only that, I know specifically what he's called me to do. And what I want to talk about today is five things we can discover from the life of Paul that helped him realize his call. Five, my desire for each and every one of you today is to no longer feel as though you're kind of just floundering on this journey towards God. You're, you're floundering on this journey towards what has God called me to do? And Ryan, what's my spiritual gift? And what am I called to do in the church? And what does God call me to do on this planet? Am I just going to do this for the rest of my life? Or well, I really wanted to do that, but I didn't quite make the decision to go that direction, Ryan. I don't want you to live the life where you feel like you're always a step behind, or you're always late to the party, or you're never quite doing what God's called you to do. I don't want that for you. I want you to feel like, you know what? I'm called of God by the will of God, and I believe God is calling me at this season to do that, and in 20 years, you're going to look back and sit on your rocking chair, drinking your cup of coffee, thinking, yeah, I'm called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. Yeah, I see that in my life, and that's what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. I want you to be confident in the call of God in your life. And so we're going to look at five things very simply this morning very simple thoughts uh, about how to realize the call of God in your life. The first one is this, is, is acceptance. So you've got to accept it. You've got to accept that he has great plans for you despite your past, your shortcomings, and your failures. This is the first step to beginning to walk in the confidence that you're called by God, that God has a plan for your life, is that you actually got to stop rejecting the grace and the love and the forgiveness of Jesus because you've made mistakes. You've got to accept the fact that no matter what you've done and no matter where you've been and no matter what you said and no matter what mistakes you've made in your life, it does not disqualify you from being greatly used by the kingdom of God. It does not disqualify you from seeing great things happen in your life, in your season, in your marriage, in your jobs. It does not disqualify you. The mistakes that you've made, the places you've been, you have to accept it. And think about who's writing this book. We look at the scripture, I want to read it together, uh, in, in Acts 7, where Paul first showed up on the scene. 
Paul was born uh, to the city called Tarsus, which was in the province of Sicilia in modern-day Turkey. And, and Paul was born as a Roman citizen. His Jewish ancestry dated all the way back to Benjamin. So he was like a legit Jew. Like this guy was an ancestral Jew. This guy was like a guy that you could trace his family back to the line of Abraham. He, his, his younger, uh, like all young boys, they had a trade. He was a, a tent maker. And when Paul was young, he was sent off to Jerusalem at about 10 to 11 years old to be trained in the, in the Jewish synagogue by the most, most prolific teacher, Rabbi Gamaliel. And Gamaliel taught Paul all that Paul knew about the Jewish law. And then Paul eventually became a Pharisee. And a Pharisee is a person who studies the Jewish law, studies the Judea, uh, Judaism, studies Yahweh and the Old Testament and Moses and all the things that you and I would understand. But the difference is, is that the, 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 the Jews or Pharisees did not believe in Jesus. And so Paul was this man who became a Pharisee. And, and we, we see here in this verse how he came on the scene. And many of you have probably read this before, but for those of you who haven't read it, I thought it would be an interesting read for us this morning in Acts chapter 7, verse 54. It says this, now, when they heard these things, they were enraged. So they're talking to Stephen. Stephen began to talk to them about how he was a follower of Jesus. He was serving tables. And these people came in and said, you're talking a lot about Jesus. You need to stop talking about Jesus. And he said, I'm not going to stop talking about Jesus. And they, they were ticked at him. And look what it says. It says, when they heard these things, they were enraged. And they ground their teeth. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, uh, Stephen, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said to these people, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and they rushed together at him and they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. I mean, I don't know if you can visualize what that might look like, but a man who's standing for Jesus Christ is laying on the ground and they're dropping rocks on his body. They're, they're, they're pelting him with stones. They're trying to murder this man. And it says in the scripture, they cast him into the city and they stoned him and the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. That's our character today, Paul. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles, but Saul was ravaging the church. He entered house after house, and he dragged off men and women, leaving their children there and committed them to prison because they said, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus. So the man who wrote, I'm Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ, was the man who was watching the murder. I mean, can you imagine standing there? People are handing you their coats, and you're standing there watching this man be murdered in front of your eyes because he stood for Jesus, and you're saying, yeah, get him. Come on, throw it harder. Come on, put him out of his misery. Yeah, can't believe he stood for the way. That's blasphemy. No way. This is the man that wrote, that, wrote this verse. Not only that, but he also went and began to take men and women who stood for the way of God and yanked them out of their homes. They're eating dinner and all of a sudden Paul kicks the door in and walks in and grabs the, 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 the husband and wife and he yanks them out and throws them on the street and says, you're going to jail because you stood for Jesus. Just a couple of chapters later, we see in Acts chapter 9, it says Saul was still breathing threats a murder against the disciples of the Lord. And he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And now as, when he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. 
And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. And the men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. And Saul rose from the ground. Although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. And he led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days, he was without sight, and he neither ate nor he drank. This is the man who had such a credible, God came and chose this man, even though he was the very individual that was attacking uh, Jesus' people. Jesus came and chose that man, the very man who was rising a city up against Christians, the very man who was yanking people out of their homes, the very man who was breathing out murderous threats against the church. God said, you know what? I'm not just going to use anybody. I'm going to use this guy. And you have to understand something about your life. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. If you've repented of your sin and you've asked Jesus to come into your life and you've asked him to come and forgive you, guess what? He has forgiven you. And it does not disqualify you from experiencing what God has for your life. No matter what you've done, even if it happened last night, just eight hours ago, God still has a great plan for your life. No matter what you've done, no matter what you will do, God has a plan for you. You just have to accept it and get over the fact that there's nothing you can do in your life that's going to ever amount to the grace and redemption that he's given you. You can never be good enough. You can never read your Bible enough. You can never go to church enough to reach the place where you've done enough to, be, to deserve what God has for you. You'll never be able to do it. And guess what? Just accept it. Accept the fact that he has a call for your life. The second thought here, I want to read this verse before we Continue in 1 Corinthians, look at this. Paul wrote this just a few verses later. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one can boast before him. Second thought here. Five things that Paul did to realize his calling. The second one is agreement. He agreed with it. He said yes. There's three areas of yes that you and I must have in our life to see the will of God and the call of God formulated in our life. There's three areas. You've got to learn to say yes. The first thing you've got to say yes to, you have to say yes to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. That when the Spirit comes to you and prompts you, when he begins to speak to you about that relationship that you're, that you're in that may be not be healthy, and he says, come on, I just want to encourage you, you, you know, that relationship's not great for you, or maybe it's a habit, or maybe it's an addiction, or maybe he's prompting you to share your faith at work, or maybe he's just speaking to you about reading your Bible, the small things to the big things. You've got to learn first that you have to hear and obey the promptings of the Holy Spirit, because what he's trying to do is to get you closer to the call of God on his life. He wants to shape you and and mold you by every voice, by every word, by every thought that he gives you. He's saying, come on, I want to get you closer to what I have for you. I want to get you closer to fulfillment. I want to get you closer to peace. I want to get you closer to joy. Even though it might require a little step of faith, it might put you in the face of fear, or the face of doubt, or the face of, of worry. Oh my gosh, are you really asking me to do this? He says, yes, yes, yes. Trust me, if you just take that step and obey my voice, the, the results and the fruit will be far greater for your life than what you could ever imagine. Look at this scripture in Galatians chapter, uh, chapter 5. Paul wrote this to the church of Galatia. He says this, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed 
the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucify them there. Verse 25, since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. So you've got to accept it, but then you've got to say yes when he speaks to you. Stop saying no. Trust me, I know uh, the Lord, I've been saying no. I find myself saying no recently in areas that I, like my LOL dolls. <laughs> I say no, God. And I just, just feel like if I just say yes, there's such far better benefits for my life. The second area where we have to say yes is yes to every opportunity. I have a rule in my life that when an opportunity comes up, the rule is I gotta walk through the door until God shuts it. If an opportunity comes up, walk through the door until God shuts that door. You say, Ryan, I don't know if I wanna go through this door. If the door's open, walk through, trust me, God will shut the door. The scripture very clearly in 1 Corinthians 16, look at this, it says, uh, I'm coming to visit you after I've been to Macedonia. This is Paul talking, for I'm planning to travel through Macedonia. Perhaps I'll stay with you a while, possibly all winter, and then you can send me on my way to my next destination. This time, I don't want to make just a short visit and then go right on. I want to come and stay a while if the Lord will let me. In the meantime, I will be staying here at Ephesus until the festival of Pentecost. There is a wide open door for great work here, although there are many who oppose me. So Paul, notice the language there. Paul is saying, listen, if God allows, if God lets, if, if, if God wants me to do this, this is my plan, this is my objective, this is my goal, I'm gonna, these are kind of my opportunities I'm looking to, 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 to search out and to follow on. But if the Lord lets me, because I know God will shut the door if he doesn't want me to go that direction. And James talks about this. This is a harsh scripture, so prepare yourself. In James chapter four, verse 13, now listen, you who say today and tomorrow, we're gonna go to this or that city, spend a year there and carrying business on and make money. Matter of fact, this is what we're going to do. Why do you, you don't even know what happened tomorrow? What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then you vanish. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live here and do this or that. As it is, your boasting that you're going to do those things without a, with confidence is an arrogant scheme. All such boasting is evil. So what James is here is saying is what Paul said. Paul said, listen, this is kind of my plan. I want to I wanna get married. Man, I, I really would like to have kids. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to maybe three, four years in, I'm going to have kids, you know, like maybe that's what we want to do. And then I want to work my career. And man, by year two, I want to be here. So there's a difference between saying that's what I'm going to do and that's what God's will is. That's called sin. That's evil. That's arrogant. That's prideful. In fact, in the translation, if you read that in the Greek, it actually refers to it being a demonic perspective, a, an ungodly thought. But our thought should be, man, I'd really love to get married, Lord, if you would allow it. And God, I, I want to have children. It's in your hands, God, but I would love to have children at least four years. God, I'm going to pray for that, but Lord, it's your will be done. And God, I really would love to get that promotion, and I'm going to work hard and serve you and serve this place. But Lord, if you allow it, because what God will do is he will let open doors for you to allow you to walk through them. He will make it very, very clear for you by shutting the door in your face. But our our problem is, is we want it so bad, we keep trying to open the door. I want that relationship to work so badly that even though I know God is shutting the door, things are not working out, I'm going to kind of put my ear on mute so I can make this happen because now I'm emotionally attached to the idea of being in this relationship. That is an example of why so many Christians get derailed in their walk with God because their will becomes more important 
than God's will. And in the scripture, we have to learn that when there's an opportunity comes, when there's a relationship you can be in, when there's a job you can take, when there's an opportunity in your life, your responsibility is to say, Lord, if you allow it, and when he doesn't allow it, you say, okay, Lord, the door is shut. If you don't do that, you are in for much pain. It's hard to watch God shut a door that you want to stay open. And many of us don't know how to step out of that doorway and say, Lord, we trust you. We have to learn to say yes to the open doors and no to the doors that God closes. And you'll notice in this scripture, it also says that there were many who opposed him. Isn't that interesting? Paul identifies two things here that you need to understand about the God's call for your life. The first thing is that whenever there's an open door, the evidence of an open door is fruit. When you walk through a door and you experience peace, when you walk through a door and you experience fruit, people are experiencing God, when you see progress in your life, expect there also to be opposition. Many times when we walk through doors, we experience opposition and we immediately assume that God's not in it because you're experiencing opposition. Stop and ask yourself the question, is there fruit, God? Well, yeah, there's fruit, Ryan. Man, look look what God's doing like in this place right now. Look at all the people in the room and look what God's doing and people are being saved. So there's fruit, but gosh, we're experiencing some opposition. I got some thing here going there and that going there and this going here thinking, what's all this? Should I quit? No, look for the fruit. If there's fruit, continue. If there's only opposition, it might be because God is trying to speak to you that I've shut this door. What's happening was is they were not only malanging the way, but they were also had a huge riot in the, in the town of Ephesus because the, Paul was teaching that the God of Artemis was not God at all, that Jesus is the only way. And they got so ticked that the entire city went up in riots and they put, took him into the theater and they rushed his companions, Paul's companions, into the theater. And Paul wanted to go in there so badly to kind of get in there and give his little diatribe, his little speech to the people. And the disciples said, we sense the Lord is saying, don't go in there. Do not go in there. Stay where you are. God will take care of it. And Paul didn't go in. And the disciples, nothing happened to them. They went in. They stood in front of all these people that were ticked at them. They wanted to stone them. And God took care of the entire thing. God took care of all the opposition. They just kept walking through the door. The third one here today that is very, 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 very important as we discover our journey towards the will of God in our life is that you and I need to say yes to the right relationships. This is the biggest area, I believe, one of the biggest for specifically newer believers, uh, but also really anyone. Relationships, I believe the enemy will bring people into your life to derail you. I've seen this happen a million times where someone starts serving the Lord, they start going for God, and the enemy comes and he brings an individual into your life that you have a natural attraction to that does not have the same spiritual uh, ambition you do, and you find that you are derailed in your search for God. You think I can bring them along. And a lot of times missionary dating can work. Who knows? But in this case, in most cases, it doesn't work. Actually, I have an example for you in Mark chapter 10, verse 46. It's kind of an outside example, not a Paul example, but it is an example. And he came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples in a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was son Jesus, son of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called him, the blind man saying to him, take heart, get up, he's calling you. Throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? Well, he's blind, Jesus. He wants to see. 
So he said, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight. Many of us are just like blind Bartimaeus. We've been sitting in the road of our life forever, trying to serve God, trying to get up, trying to go forward, trying to go. Bartimaeus had been there for 20 years. He sat there under his cloak, begging for money. And one day Jesus passed by and he says, I'm gonna make a decision today that I'm gonna serve the Lord, that I'm gonna serve God, that I'm gonna give my life to him. I'm gonna get up today. And he says, Jesus, son of David. And people turned to him and said, shut up, Bartimaeus. You've been sitting there for 20 years. Nothing's gonna change. You're gonna stay right there. We're gonna follow, we're gonna go on our life and do our thing. You're gonna stay right there. There And if Bartimaeus would have listened, he would have sat there for another 20 years until the next time Jesus walked by, he would have been sitting there blind and begging for the rest of his life. And that is not what Jesus wants for your life. He wants you to get up and when your friends or when the enemy tries to speak words to you and say, no, don't do it, or tries to derail you, you need to say, you know what? No, I'm going to keep going. No, I'm going to keep serving God. No, I'm going to keep pushing forward. Even if it means I have to be alone. Even if it means I don't have a relationship with this person. Even if it means this. Even if it means that. My one goal in life is to serve the Lord. And if anything's going to stop me, I'm going to get it out of the way. In order for you to be able to Say yes to the call of God. You gotta say yes to the promptings, yes to the opportunities, and make sure you say yes to the right relationships. The third one here today on the five ways to realize the promises of God, the call of God is very simple. Trust God. You have to trust God. You have to trust God that he has your life and his call in his hands. You know that when Paul was saved, Christian, 29 years old, Theologians, I think it was six years. Other people believe it was three years. But three to six years, Paul actually went into exile. It says right here in Galatians, only spot we find it in Galatians 1.15. But when he, was, when he who had set me apart before I was born, who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Paul, for potentially six years, was in exile. So here's this guy who had an encounter, such an incredible encounter with Jesus that said, you're going to be my instrument to the Gentiles. And he knew that in his heart that God had a great plan for his life, but he was in a season of exile. Many of us are in a season where God has put a dream in our heart. God's put a purpose on your heart. Maybe it's a ministry. Maybe it's a business. Maybe you want to be able to, uh, your kids to, to reach a certain level of understanding educationally. Or maybe you want to travel or whatever it might be. Whatever call or dream or thing that you feel God's put on your heart. And you're in this exile season where you're here and this is the fulfillment. And you're here and you're getting frustrated with the call of God. Frustrated with what God's called you to do. Frustrated that I'm still at this job. Frustrated that I don't have this. Frustrated that I don't have kids frustrated that this isn't happening, frustrated, frustrated, frustrated. You have to trust that the Lord is in this season. He is in the exile season. And one of the ways for you to fulfill the call of God in your life is to trust that even though you don't see the fruit now, even though you don't see the results in your life, you've got to keep serving. You've got to keep loving. You've got to keep giving. You've got to keep believing. You've got to keep having faith. You've got to keep pushing forward. You've got to keep going, trusting that, God, I know I don't see the fulfillment of your promise, but your promises are yes and amen in Christ. And I believe that, God, that your word over my life is true. And every man who tries to tell me away from that as a liar. God's purposes for my life are true. I trust God, even though I don't see it. I don't live by sight. I live by faith. 
And you have to understand that in order for you, to re- for you to begin to realize the call of God in your life, there's seasons when you won't be doing what you think you'll be doing. Or there'll be seasons, you understand what I mean? You'll be doing what you don't want to be doing before you can do what God wants you to do. Ah, there it is. There'll be seasons of your life where you'll just have to do other stuff. God's going to call you to do menial things or small things or things that haven't quite arrived there yet. And he's just saying, come on, just trust me. Just keep serving. Just keep going. You've got to trust in the Lord. And the fourth one here this morning, I want to read the scripture too. Paul wrote this actually to the Church of Rome a little bit later in his journey. And I thought it was very interesting and fitting for our thought about trusting the Lord, Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. The fourth one today is that we have to persevere, pressing through during life's challenges because of the call of God in your life. Paul knew he was called by God, but Paul experienced some of the most tremendous challenges. And I want to tell you this statement, and I hope this statement sticks with you, that when you're in a, in a challenging situation in your life, sometimes the only thing that will get you through is the call of God in your life, knowing that God's call on my life, God has a purpose for my life, God has a will for my life, that when the cloud comes over your life, when the clouds of depression or the clouds of a, a, a troubled marriage, the clouds of finances, the clouds of situations physically, when all these things happen in your life and this cloud is over your head, sometimes the only thing you have is the call and the purpose of God, believing that, God, I know this is a terrible season, but I but I trust you and I'm going to persevere through even though it hurts. Perseverance is one of the most important things. Look at the scripture, Paul, in 2 Corinthians 11, 21 to 28. But whatever they dare to boast about, he says, I'm talking like a fool. <laughs> I dare to boast about it too. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I know I sound like a madman, but I have served him far more than they have. Look what he says. I've worked harder. I've been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number, and faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. They dragged him outside the city, and they stoned him, and they thought he was dead. They left him for dead, and he was still alive after the stoning. (laughs) Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I traveled on many long journeys. I faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I faced danger in the cities and in the deserts and on the seas, and I faced danger from men who claim to be believers but absolutely are not. I have worked hard and long and during many sleepless nights. I've been hungry. I've been thirsty. I've often gone without food. I've shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Then besides all this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. Paul has experienced tremendous things in his life. And I want to encourage you today that no matter what you're facing, no matter what you're experiencing, I'm sure that you haven't experienced some of the things Paul has. 
And Paul made a decision that I'm going to persevere. I'm going to press through. I'm going to continue to believe that there's a purpose for my life, that outside of this difficulty that I see, I know God has a plan for me to be married. I know that God has a plan for me to have children. I know that God has a plan for me to do what's on my heart, the dreams that are in my heart. I know that God has his purpose for me, even though I'm shipped shipwrecked, even though I'm challenged, even though things are hard, even though I have sickness in my body, even though things don't look like they're turning out in my benefit, I know that I'm going to persevere knowing that this situation is developing what God wants to develop in my life. Look what he says in Romans chapter 5, 3 and 4. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that the suffering produces perseverance and perseverance produces Character, the character is what you need to handle what God is calling you to do. He has to develop character before you can fulfill what God's called for you to do. You can't just have it without character because you'll crumble. So you look at your situation and see, why is God allowing this? Well, God isn't allowing it. We live in a fallen world, but God is going to use it to develop character. And it says that perseverance, character, and character, hope. Lastly here this morning, Five things Paul did to realize his calling. He accepted it. He agreed with it. He trusted in God. He persevered. And lastly, he owned it. Ownership. In order to fulfill God's call in your life, you have to own it. You have to owning it means that you'll give your life up for it. Paul wrote this again to the, the Church of Rome. It's really interesting because he used the same verbiage, but he changed the words a little bit. Look what he said. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. So he basically said the same thing that he said to the church of Corinth. The reason he said it the way he said it to the church of Corinth is because these people were a lot of new believers who were allowing the culture to permeate the church. And so they weren't very mature believers. And so what he was doing was saying, listen, you need to know that the reason I'm writing this letter to you and the reason that, that you're serving God and the reason that you are where you are in the church is because God has called you. Here in Rome, he's writing this because Paul's a Roman citizen and Rome was like the chief city of that region. And, and for Romans to have a servant was unheard of. Most Romans had, had servants, but none of them were servants. They all generally had two or three servants per household. Now, when you hear that, you often hear that through the context of the 1800s or the early 1900s where slavery of a people group was obviously a, a, not a, a terrible, terrible thing. And you might have that context when you look at the word servant there, but in reality, that's not what Paul was talking about. In that day and in that season in the New Testament, what would happen was is that people would actually apply for the job of being a slave because they had debt in their life. And often what they would do is they would go and they would go to this owner who was a Roman citizen, generally was very wealthy. They had stables and businesses. And these people would say, I've got $50,000 in debt. I want to come and apply for a job with you. And when they applied for the job with the individual, they would sign on the dotted line a contract saying that your debt is completely absorbed into the debt of this new master. And you now became a co owner of the master's business. So when the pat when, when the pat when the uh, the master was successful, you were successful. When the the business grew, you grew. You weren't just a hand a person uh, uh, picking up poo in the stables. You were running the stables. They hired accountants and managers, and they didn't just hire servants to be people who did menial tasks. These individuals ran the business for the master. 
So when Paul wrote this statement, the Romans were like, what? You want me to be a servant? I understand that. And Paul was saying that we need to lower ourselves to the place where we realize in life that my job in life, my goal and my objective is to be a servant of Christ. And as a servant of Christ, you actually are a co-owner in the master's business. You actually own what God has for your life. The things that God has in store for your life. The children he has in store for your life. The marriage he has in store for your life. The ministry that he has in store for your life. That isn't just his. It's yours too. And you've got to own it. And when you own something, you give your life up for it. I want to end today on a story and then we're just going to go back into a time of worship. You may have heard this before. I think I may have told this before in the past, but there's a story of a, a woman who was a, a servant in a home uh, and she served this master hand and foot. She was like a daughter to this man. She was the only one in the home. He was the only one in the home. It was just them two. And she served this guy hand and foot consistently, continually, was like a daughter to him. And one day this man was laying on his deathbed. He was about to die. And the only person there was this girl. And she's at the side of his bed, and he finally, about right before he's about to pass away, he pulls out this little gift, and he hands it to this girl, and he puts it in her hands and says, this is my gift for you for all the years of serving me. And she opens up the gift, and she looks at this, this, this kind of framed kind of thing, and she's like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. She says, thank you. She didn't even care what it was. It was her master's. It was her dad's, and it just meant so much to her. She squeezed it, and it was her prized possession, and the man passed away, and a couple years later, the girl was now living in squander, was living in poverty, was living in just complete debt, and she, she was having to work four jobs, and she lived in this little shack, and one day, this man was a preacher. He, he came to this part of, uh, of the city, and he knocked on the door, and he walked in and said, hi, can I, can I come in your home, and can I talk with you about, about Jesus? And she said, sure, come on in, and so she came, he came in, and he's looking around at all the pictures on the wall, and he's going through all the stuff. He says, you've got a beautiful home, and he comes up to the one picture on the wall and he says oh my gosh what is this she goes oh my master gave me that he gave me that and it's my prized possession it means more to me than anything else in my life because I loved my master he leans up closer to it and he begins to look at it he says do you know what this says she goes no I can't read I don't know what it says I just thought it was a beautiful picture and she says this here says that you are the full owner of everything your master ever had. She says, do you know that you are super, super wealthy? See, this girl had this incredible call for her life, incredible wealth, incredible blessings on her life. And all she was doing was hanging it on the wall. And what you and I have to do as followers of Jesus Christ is take that off of the wall of our life. All the things that God has for you, all the blessings God has for you, the relationships and the financial blessing and the, the, the fulfillment and the peace and the joy, you're hanging it on a wall. You've got to take it off and realize that this is mine. You've got to access it. You've got to own it. You've got to accept it. You've got to agree with it and say yes to it. Today, 
today, from this moment forward, do not be a follower of Jesus that acts like you don't have a call of God in your life, that acts like you, God doesn't have a plan for your life. Do you know that He has given you every spiritual blessing? Do you know that He's given you everything in this life that pertains to godliness and a life that God wants you to live? He has already given it to you today. And I pray, my prayer for you is that you would accept it that you would realize that God has tremendous plans for your life. There's some of you in here who you're going to share the gospel one day with somebody and they're going to turn out to be the next Billy Graham. There's some of you here today that you're going to start a business that's going to feed, feed thousands if not millions of children across the world who are hungry. There's some of you here today who are called to ministry, to serve the church, to be a youth pastor, to be a worship pastor, to plant churches. There's some of you here today who are called by God to be the most incredible mother ever on the planet. Your children are going to go and do things that no one's ever done before. That is what God has called for his children. And today, don't reject what God has for you any longer. Let's take it off the wall. Say, all right, Lord, I know I've done some mistakes. I know I've done some things wrong. But I accept today that you have a great plan for my life. Would you stand with me this morning? Come on, let's worship together. Father, we just thank you for this time together as we worship. I pray for those in the room who've disqualified themselves for sin. Maybe they've been saying yes to the wrong relationships or trying to open up a door of opportunity that is no longer open. Lord, maybe they're in a season where they just are in exile and they are having a hard time trusting in you. God, maybe they're in a hard time and they don't know if they can persevere through this difficult season. God, or maybe they're almost there, but they just need to own it. They just need to give their life for it. They need just to lay down their life and serve you wholly, God. Whatever it may be today, I pray as we worship God, as we respond in worship today, that our hearts, God, would connect with yours. This time right now is a time of response. It's not a time just to sit and watch. It's a time for you to respond to the word of God. Respond in worship. Respond by singing. Respond by raising your hands. Respond today in your heart, in your mind. Internally, respond today. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your presence. Come on, let's worship together. Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus.